Well, welcome to Runners in Scoring Position. Not quite the jungle, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Nate, and with me as always is my co-host Charlie. And we're Runners in Scoring Position on UCCS Radio, and also Spotify and iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcast. Uh, and we're a baseball podcast slash radio show. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning in. There's a lot going on in the NBA, but we're going to talk baseball right now. It's starting to heat up. Not really. It's a pretty cold day outside across the country, really. Uh, so not warm. Can't believe that pitchers and catchers report in about six days, I believe. And then spring training starts a little bit after that. So how are you doing today, Charlie? Doing good. Nate, guess what? Less than three weeks. Less <laughs> yeah. than three weeks till New York. I believe it, you know. You guys are just... Joining us for the first time, our podcast got nominated for Best Podcast by the Intercollegiate Broadcasting System, which is the official governing body of college radio. And before we get into the baseball news, actually, when I found out about this award, I looked at the other schools. Fun fact, Nate, the other four schools are all in Kansas. (laughs) So I don't know if that's like the podcast haven of the United States, but... I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, so, you know, when we're out in New York, the content won't stop. I think that Thursday we fly in. Yeah. Um, maybe the day after, Nate and I will do a live Periscope from our hotel room, and maybe yeah. we'll just talk about all the baseball news. Um, you know, just how our luck will work out. Bryce Harper will probably sign while we're in the air. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same with Machado. So that, you know, I'm just predicting it right now. But yeah. without further ado, let's get to the baseball news from this past week. It's yeah. actually been a pretty busy day today. Uh, We started on an unfortunate note with Frank Robinson, the first African-American manager and the only MVP, excuse me, the only player to win MVP in both leagues, unfortunately passed away today at the age of 83. A lot of people know Frank Robinson for playing with the Orioles, managing the Orioles and playing with the Reds, but he was a lot more than that too. He helped work on African-American relations and the African-American community with current commissioner Rob Manfred. He ranks 10th on the career home run list with 586 homers. He won the Triple Crown in 1966 and became the first African-American manager in Major League Baseball history with the Cleveland Indians in 1975. Uh, Nate, this is for sure a big loss to our game and to the history of of our game. I mean, he was a phenomenal player, great guy on and off the field, so he'll be uh, surely missed. Yeah, that that is a big miss for baseball. I know a lot of people, uh, MLB app has been sending out stuff all day about his legacy, and it's a big one. Uh, 83 is a long time to live, but uh, yeah, it's a terrible loss for Major League Baseball. They lost a great ambassador to the game, that's for sure. For sure. Uh, Nate, do you want to talk about our third topic, and then I'll circle back to the second one? Yeah, awesome. Uh, so this is kind of local news here in Colorado. Uh, Nolan Arenado, uh, the Rockies' MVP candidate, agreed to a one-year, $26 million deal with the Colorado Rockies. Arenado is one of the best two-way players in the game, winning gold gloves in his first six seasons and finishing in the top five in National League MVP voting the past three years. If you ask any Rockies fan or Denver media, they probably think he should have won it this past year. Uh, But over the past four seasons, his 158 home runs ranked third in the major leagues and his 503 RBIs first. And the combination of those numbers plus his defensive emboldened him to ask for $30 million, $30 million from the Rockies. When the Rockies countered at $24 million, the parties agreed to continue talking before a trial in which a three-person panel would have chosen one of the salaries. So $26 million is pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, what are the chances you think the Rockies try to lock him up to a longer deal this offseason, or do you think 
it'll last, you know, during the season, or do you think it'll last all the way into the offseason? I think he's going to try to test the waters. I wouldn't okay. be surprised if his name is mentioned, you know, in the trade deadline, try to get something for him. Um, but basically how this arbitration process works is it's kind of an interesting process. So there's a panel of, I believe, people who are involved. I don't know if they're involved with Major League Baseball specifically or if they're involved within the respective organization. But it's essentially like a jury trial. So they lay out the facts. So they'll lay out the season and then each side kind of argues why they should, why the panel should act in their favor. So Arenado, obviously one of the best gold glove defensive third baseman, I would say, you know, in the past decade, at least, um, you know, laid out his case and laid out probably his gold gloves and went back to his, you know, offensive stats and the Rockies, you know, probably talked about why they should cut on payroll and maybe what he didn't do great on or what he, you know, kind of pointing out his flaws. And Nate, I believe that this process can kind of ruin a relationship between teams Yeah. because, you know, sometimes it's professional and, you know, some, but really, you know, if one side's like this guy's been, you know, a bad, bad influence on the team or he's been a horrible player, we shouldn't get him all this money. Yeah. Then maybe, you know, Arenado or another player will think, should I really, you know, get a long-term contract or extend my contract with this team? Or maybe should I explore other options? So yeah. to answer your question, I think Nolan Arenado finishes the year. I don't think he'll get traded at the deadline because I think the Rockies are going to want a King's ransom for that a bunch of prospects, a bunch of good players for that. But uh, I think he signs a long-term deal off season next year and hopefully he'll sign, you know, before six days out spring training. Yeah. So um, heading into news that just broke within the past hour. So this trade finally went down. We've been hearing about it for weeks. Yeah. JT real Muto is now a Philly so the Phillies sent catcher Jorge Alfreo, pit, pitching prospect Sixto Sanchez, and Will Stewart. Um, Alfreo played with the Rangers for a while, and then he was actually traded in the Cole Hamels deal along with Jake okay. Thompson and yeah. Nick Williams, some other prospects okay. there. Nice. Sixto Sanchez is probably the best pitching prospect that the Phillies had. I mean, he was a guy who could, you know, a little over six feet, tops out at a hundred mile an hour fastball, high nineties. But he's good. But he missed a majority of last year with elbow inflammation. Okay. Um, Alfredo has been, you know, kind of a guy who's been up between Lehigh Valley, which is the AAA team, and the Phillies twenty five man roster. So he's been up and down a little bit. I mean, he's had his ups and his downs. And then Will Stewart uh, is a lefty. And he excelled in Class A last year, went eight and one in twenty starts with a two point six. Excuse me, 2.06 ERA. Okay. But this ends the Real Muto sweepstakes. I mean, there's been a lot of names circulating around. He could have gone to the Mets. He could have gone to the Reds, the Phillies. But Phillies finally got him. I think they gave up. I think they did okay with the prospects they gave up. I think Sixto Sanchez was a big loss. But avoiding giving up guys like Mickey Moniak, um, Adam Hayes, Lee Adonis Medina, which are some of the other top prospects that the Phillies have. I think giving up guys like that, you know, giving up one prospect, but the, giving up two other non-essential players kind of really helps the Phillies and it'll help with their catching depth. And maybe this is one of the pieces to get Harper to come to Philadelphia. Yeah. And, you know, Nate, I put, put this in the notes. He's meeting with the Padres and yep. he's meeting with the Giants. And I said, I don't know what else to say here because we've covered this so many times. So maybe you want to give your input on it. Yeah, it's know. it's boring at this point. It, to be quite honest, when he 
announces him, Machado, Kimbrel, Keuchel, all of them, when they make their final decision, I think it's going to be kind of a lackluster decision when we get there. It's going to be like, okay, yeah, all right, let's focus on other things. A lot of people are more focused on the teams that are already have their teams and are focused heading into the season. And really, you know, I know I've never worked as a general manager. I'm also not a manager of Major League Baseball. I've never been a player in Major League Baseball. This must be a huge distraction for the teams that are still rumored to be in for these players, especially if you play those positions because you're like, I might not get a shot this season because this big guy's come in and Bob and working my butt off already to get ready for this season. This guy hasn't even made a decision yet, especially if it gets to the point where they're not quite signed when spring training starts. I would hate to be on one of those teams like, oh, you've lost your spot because this guy couldn't make a decision until the middle of February heading into March. So, yeah, it's a distraction. It's boring. Uh, And obviously ESPN isn't buying into the baseball news. I don't know if you saw the news earlier, but they won't have their baseball tonight show that they have during the season um, at the normally aired times. And so there's not going to be a big Harper decision special. There's not going to be anything like that um, as we head into the season. Well, going along the line with that to that baseball, um, excuse me, baseball tonight, actually one of the hosts, Adnan Verk, from ESPN actually got fired recently because he leaked confidential information and he was actually escorted out of the Bristol. So Bristol, Connecticut is where ESPN does all their filming and production. He actually got escorted out of the campus after determined that he leaked information from a conference call to a blog called awful announcing. Um, You know, this could have been leaking the information saying we're not going to continue the show. Yeah. Maybe this, I I don't know, but My thing with Harper and Machado is I'm wondering if they're still waiting for that offer. And we talked about this last week, and it seems to be a continuing cycle of what with Harper and Machado and what we bring up and how to defend it. But Machado, I feel like, is waiting for the right offer, and so is Harper. And if I were Bryce Harper, I would have signed with the Phillies two months ago. There's Hmm. no question about it because the Phillies with Harper are a team that wins now. All these other teams, if he joins them, they're not ready to win. The Padres aren't ready to win. The Giants have one of their worst seasons in a decade last year. I mean, they have all these free agents. Really, the only guy I can name on the Giants who is actually worth, you know, signing for, Brandon Crawford. That's really it. I mean, you can't name any of these other guys on the teams because they're just not ready. Yeah. You know, they're guys coming up from Fresno or Sacramento or El Paso, and these guys just aren't ready to perform and aren't ready to produce at a big league level yet. And the Phillies have guys like Aaron Nola, Mikel Franco, who are ready to produce at a big league level and have before. And with Harper are a division winning team, if not an NL pennant winning team. Yeah. Unless, you know, and the Phillies would also be able to offer him the amount of money that he wants compared to other teams that aren't able to offer a $300 million deal because they simply can't afford it. And they can't, they don't want to risk it on a guy like Bryce Harper, who, you know, may have some good seasons of production, may not have other seasons of good production. And then there's two other guys, Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel. And Kimbrell reportedly has been offered a three-year, $45 million deal by the Twins. I don't know if he's, you know, waiting for other offers that maybe are a little lower, but more of a playoff contending team than the Twins. Dallas Keuchel, on the other hand, Nothing. I've heard nothing about Dallas Keuchel. No news, 
no, you know, rumors, nothing like that. Absolutely nothing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he has a medical issue or no teams have reached out, but you would have to think there are teams interested in him. And eventually I think these guys will just have to take a pay cut unless, you know, Kibrell takes the three or $45 million deal because at this point, Teams aren't going to invest two to three hundred million dollars in a player less than a week from spring training. Yeah, I mean, pe- kids are it's not kids, but um, <laughs> players on the roster are already down there. Jacob Degrom's already in Port St. Louis oh, yeah. working out. You have a lot of minor league prospects already working out. Yep. Teams are starting to form relationships. They're starting to build. If there is a time to sign, it is time to sign. It is now. You yep. don't wait. I it agree. is now. So I I don't know what else to say. Here, I mean, it's just been a constant spiral. And, you know, if it's for the benefit of those four, they sign now and, you know, don't waste any time catching up. Yeah. So some more arbitration deals. Houston Astros shortstop Carlos Correa and Tampa Bay outfielder Tommy Pham have both won their salary arbitration deals. So Correa was awarded a $5 million salary rather than the $4.25 million offered by the Astros. I was kind of surprised about this because... The the Astros, you know, Correa didn't have that great of a year last year. He only hit yep. 239, 15 home runs, 65 RBIs. And then you have, you know, guys like Tommy Pham, who hit a little better. I think they hit, he hit 275 with 21 home runs, but he was traded halfway through the year from St. Louis. But on the other hand, Correa had a great year in 2017, batting 315, 24 home runs, 84 RBIs, and helped the Astros win a World Series title, which we have discussed yeah. with guys like David Price is invaluable yep. no matter how much they're making. Yeah. So these are, you know, the two other, and then Blake Trennan, the closer for the Oakland Athletics, won at 6.4 million rather than 5.6. And then Michael A. Taylor um, won at 3.25 million instead of his 3.5 million request so we lost that case but then some notable ones garrett cole trevor bauer nola and luis severino nate you know recently in the past week the mlbpa suggested some new rules okay and they do this every year so i listed about eight down below why don't you go through your top three and we'll kind of talk about that from there yeah so the ones i noticed the most are uh the three batter minimum for pitchers. I think that's an interesting one. The 20-second pitch clock. This isn't the first time they brought up that one, I believe, or something similar to that rule. And then a single trade deadline before the All-Star break. Um, those are three I find the most interesting. Uh, the trade deadline one is maybe they're trying to make it a little more exciting. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the marketing problem in MLB. But this could be something that helps it. It's some excitement. Because if you... I want to look at like the ratings numbers for ESPN. They did two specials last night and tonight for trade deadline. Uh, if anyone watched the j- the jump with Rachel Nichols on ESPN, she even had like a little fog machine every time there was a trade announced. There was about ten trades announced in an hour on that show. Like some like minutes before the one p.m. Uh, trade deadline here in Mountain Standard Time. So it was it was exciting. It was fun. Um, a whole bunch of guests and stuff like that. Maybe MLB wants to be able to have something like that, whether it's on ESPN or, you know, hosting on their own social pages or the MLB network. Maybe they want people to tune in and be excited about something that's about to happen because this last week was insane for uh, the NBA. Maybe they want it to be insane 
for Major League Baseball as well, which I think would be a smart move. A three batter minimum, uh, that's fascinating. It, uh, it would change some managers' strategy, especially in late games. And then the 22nd pitch clock, I don't think it's the right one, but I think it's a controversial one. And I think it's going to really annoy a lot of pitchers. And so it'll be a big conversation with that one. Now, I think the biggest one out of this list is the bottom bottom one, a rule that would allow two sport amateurs to sign major league contracts. Yeah. That's just based off of Kyler Murray, who <laughs> yeah. today is attending the NFL Combine, yeah. which does not look good for the A's that he will be able to play this year. Yep. That's a whole nother story. Yes. Um, a universal designated hitter. I think that would be interesting. However, I feel like that would have a disadvantage for some teams because there are some teams that have a lot of um, power, not power, but, you know, pitchers that actually hit pretty decently. Yeah. You know, for example, one famous moment of that was San Diego was Padres versus Mets. Bartolo Colon's hitting, and he hits about a 400-foot shot to left, and everybody just goes crazy. I mean, those are some moments that if we have a universal designated hitter, would be taken away. And, you know, especially for some pitchers and scenarios, I mean, the NL would benefit from that, obviously, without having to put a pitcher in there. AL would really stay the same. I mean, because we already have a designated hitter, so there would be nothing new about that. But... I just think this is interesting to kind of note because these are all rules that I feel like a lot of them have been thought out, but some of them just don't make any sense. Like a study to lower the mound. (laughs) I don't, there's a lot more pressing issues that can be addressed. Yeah. Pitch clock, pace of play initiative. I think that should be addressed, you know, rather than a study to lower the mound. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. I also noticed they like they're looking to see if they should lower the mound or move the mound back. Yes, I, I saw both of that. Like either they were combined or separate. Yeah, I think that's interesting yeah. as well. A uh, single trade deadline before the All Star break. I don't think a single trade deadline is the problem, and we're going to get into this next segment. And Nate, you brought this up too. It's how they market their trade deadline and yeah. how they don't make it fun. And people are eating lunch and they're like, "Oh, it's the trade deadline today." But then, you know, at the NBA trade deadline, you have woes, you have shams, you have all of these guys coming out saying, trade deadline, tweet, 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 tweet. And then, you know, what you said, Rachel Nichols with the jump, and there's, you know, something fun along with it. Yeah. Even the, you know, NHL trade deadline, there's more going on. Brian Boyle getting sent from the Devils to the Predators. Yeah. I mean, there's just something going on with Major League Baseball. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, Joe Maurer got traded for these two prospects, but... Anyway, the stocks are up 10% today, and so it's not like, it's not fun. Um, (laughs) Anyway, draft advantages for winning teams and penalties for losing teams. I think for draft advantages, I think that would be interesting. For penalties, Nate, I assume this is to prevent tanking, Yeah. right? Um, Which I don't think is as beneficial as it is in other leagues, mainly because... The draft is a lot bigger for Major League Baseball. There's a lot more rounds, and it's a lot easier to find that diamond in the rough, I think. Whereas, yeah. like, maybe if you're ta- taking away, like, it's harder to rebuild after that. But for teams that just are not good, like, you look at the Orioles, I don't think they were trying to lose. They were just that bad. They're just bad. And so I think that's a little different. So we'll see, you know. I feel like this is a rule that could be implemented better in the NBA. 
because you see a prime example of tanking in the NBA, trying to get these top prospects, but you don't really see it in Major League Baseball because you have all these other resources. You yeah. have AAA, you have the minors. So if you're really doing that poorly, you can call someone up. Plus, it's no guarantee with Major League Baseball that you're going to have the talent of the player right away. Yeah. With the NBA, you're having them immediately. Like when Zion goes to Chicago next year, you're going to have Zion right away. So, you know, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about the marketing problem in Major League Baseball. And then we're going to also do an in-depth breakdown of the NL East. So stick around. Runners in scoring position. In the meantime, if you have any questions, text them to 719-428-6191. And after the show, we will be on Spotify and iTunes. So this is Runners in Scoring Position. We are back. We are Runners in Scoring Position. I'm Nate. With me still is Charlie. We're talking Major League Baseball. As always, nothing's really changed here. We didn't just decide to change sports in between a little break here. Um, so Charlie has a story he'd like to share. Uh, so if you want to start with that, Charlie. I'd just like to preface that Runners in Scoring Position is known as a hard-hitting news <laughs> sports podcast, but this really just breaks all sound barriers and everything. Reliever Zach Britton announced on Twitter today that he is changing the spelling of his first name from Zach okay. to Zach with huh. a K. Oh, do you think that's on purpose? An intimidation factor for the Yankees bullpen. Do you think Steinbrenner, Hal Steinbrenner, went up to him and said, we're not going to renew your contract unless you legally change your name to a K to intimidate all other opponents because they have a guy with a K in his last first character of his last name? I... I okay, let's just about, move on, yeah. It's okay. selling shirts. It sells shirts, you it know? Does. You know, but yeah, we can move on. We will. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about the marketing problem in Major League Baseball. This is a huge deal for Major League Baseball. There are events going on every day in Major League Baseball, and less than 22% know who the greatest player of our era is, Mike Trout. So a study that the Washington Post did 22% of the American public knew who Mike Trout was. Wow. Nate, to put that into a basketball perspective. Yeah. Trout is as well known as one-time NBA rebounding champ Kenneth Fareed. Mike Trout is perhaps the greatest baseball player in the past decade. Yeah. By far. And then you have guys like Kenneth Fareed. No offense to Kenneth Fareed. You know, a one-time rebounding champ in a small market. And you have guys like Mike Trout, who are in perhaps one of the biggest markets in the world, L.A., Anaheim area. But then, you know, LeBron James and J.J. Watt, everyone knows who LeBron James is. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Top three players, arguably, of all time in basketball. Yeah, 100%. But then you have guys like Javi Baez, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. You might think that's an insurance salesman. You don't No one knows who that is. And a fun fact about that. Seven players' jerseys outsold Mike Trout's last year. Wow. And Bryce Harper, even though he is not nearly the performer that Trout was, Trout homered in the All-Star game. Harper whiffed twice. However, Bryce Harper dominated the Home Run Derby, you know, ads that he was in. He dominated all the ads that he was in, and Mike Trout didn't get anything. And here's the reason why. 
Mike Trout is boring. He doesn't have great hair. He doesn't, you know, do anything stupid on the field. He doesn't do anything stupid off the field. He is as normal of a guy as normal guys come, really. And that's the problem. Because Major League Baseball doesn't market talent. It markets personalities. And you have plain guys like Mike Trout, um, you know, like maybe Clayton Kershaw, for example. And they're plain. And they're normal. And they don't do anything dumb. (laughs) And they have a family. And they're, you know... They don't do anything. And another fun fact, one player has appeared on the cover of GQ in the past 13 years, and that was Derek Jeter. And just one of Twitter's top 100 most followed athletes is a baseball player. Additionally, Trout has a Twitter following of 2.5 million people. It's the largest in the sport. However, more than a dozen NBA players have bigger followings. Wow. Which is absolutely insane because, you know, Mike Trout is, you know, obviously the best player. Yeah. And he's better than the top 12 in Major League Baseball. Yeah. So I don't know what they should do about this. Obviously, there's a problem. And it doesn't help that Rob Manfred last year went out against Mike Trout. And he said, Mike's brand is built generously. Excuse me, that's the wrong quote. Mike is a great (laughs) player and a really nice person, but... He's made decisions on what he wants to do and doesn't want to do and how he spends his free time or not spend his free time. I think we can help him make his brand very big. But he has a he has to make a decision to engage. Really? I mean, this is the best player that you've seen in the past decade and even your own commissioner is going out against you and saying, you're so boring, you should find something fun to do. Because, you know, guys like Bryce Harper... And Manny Machado, if you scroll through the Instagram and Twitter and social media feeds of Major League Baseball, Mike Trout's not mentioned. No. You don't see videos of Mike Trout, you know, in his off-season routine. You don't see pictures of him on Twitter. You see pictures of the fun guys. And that's the problem in Major League Baseball. They're not marketing talent. They're marketing personality. And that's what needs to change because we need to value talent. The Hall of Fame is based off of talent. It is not based off of personality traits. It is based off of who can be the best and when, and we're really missing an opportunity to market Trout. Even, you know, with the Hall of Fame ceremonies, it's on a Tuesday night and MLB Network at 6 o'clock. If you want to make it primetime, you put it on a Thursday night or a Friday night and you make it a big event. You make a big deal out of it. You market it for weeks and months. Instead, you know, it's MLB Network in Secaucus, New Jersey, it's a 10-minute presentation, and then the rest of it is people, anal- you know, these analysts talking about it. Yeah. Kids are not going to watch that. It's no, going to be diehard you. baseball fans. You know, you need to engage a younger group of them, you know, a younger group of fans. Because Nate mentioned during the break, Major League Baseball has probably one of the oldest fan bases yeah. out of all the professional sports in North America. 100%. They need to engage a young audience, you know, instead of – you know, Tom playing Fortnite on the computer, you need to engage him so he's interested in baseball because that's where you're losing your audience. Yeah, It's more of a baby boomer crowd who are around, you know, when Mickey Mantle was playing and Hank Aaron and those guys, and they're becoming older and they don't have, you know, all the time and energy and they don't know who these new players are. If you engage a younger audience, and there have been sports who have done that. Basketball has done that. Hockey has done that. Football especially has done that. Yeah. I don't know if it's a pace of play problem with the marketing issue or it's something that needs to be changed, but within, within, excuse me, 
But Major League Baseball has a problem, and on its current course, on its current course, it's not going to be stopped anytime soon. Yeah. So Nate, I'm going to stop talking for a little while. <laughs> you take your opinion on yeah. it. Yeah. And I'll chime in when you think. Yeah, so you highlighted a lot of the negative aspects of the Major League Baseball's marketing problem. But you also look, so we mentioned how Mike Trout was boring. I wouldn't consider Kenneth Freed, who he's just as known as in basketball, as an exciting player. So part of it, we can look at how the players market themselves. But it also can be how the league markets itself. You know, you just look at the ads. And I I think Major League Baseball is starting to look at this. But, you know, ESPN, the way they advertise basketball, looks a lot more fun. If I'm a kid just sitting watching ESPN, I'm like, that looks like fun. I'll watch that, even if I'm not a huge basketball fan. I really got into basketball in around ninth grade year. And it was because of the way ESPN was marketing those games to me. They looked more fun. They were late at night. You know, I snuck my iPod under my bed watching uh, the Clippers play the Nuggets at one point. So... To me, that was fun. That was exciting. Baseball also has an accessibility problem. The games are sometimes hard to watch um, unless you're in those cities. And sometimes at weird times. And then they just take a long time to watch. Uh, You can't really just casually watch a game because you might get lost. There's different problems with that. Um, So focusing a little bit on the positives that Major League Baseball is doing is they are kind of buying into the younger players in a sense. Uh, They are trying to have Bryce Harper lead it, but they're only having their exciting player personalities. They can get their boring, talented players involved with it in different ways, but they just kind of need to try a little harder. Um, And I think if we're going to look, I have a love-hate relationship with Barstool Sports, but I do think that they, they make it fun for younger people to follow along. Their personalities make baseball look a little more enticing, and that's what the MLB needs to do. I don't think they need to become Barstool Sports. But they need to look at what they're doing and hire people that are their reporters, their writers, that kind of that will attack that demographic. And one way is to make it more accessible. I've gotten more into baseball because I'm a T-Mobile subscriber or my parents are a T-Mobile subscriber. Uh, you get the MLB at bat uh, for free. So I get every single game that's out of market for me. I get to watch that whenever i can pull it up on my phone laptop tv whatever that's exciting for me especially as someone who's a red sox fan in colorado i get to watch every single game it's also on the local networks so i get to watch it on nesson and then if i want to listen on the radio i can listen on wei that i think is very unique and very exciting for me as a baseball fan and that's i think one way to get the younger fans to buy in a little more and then another thing is the in-stadium presence. I I think we could look at the numbers and see that they're probably declining. And that's because, you know, they're not too expensive. The games aren't incredibly expensive, but especially when you're looking at younger fans, it's not fun. Like, you know, games can last four hours. Games can last 18 innings where not a lot happens. If I was a kid, I probably would have fallen asleep during that World Series game, which is sad to say that one of the most important games of the year for Major League Baseball, you're going to have kids falling asleep because... It's way past their bedtime, and they struggle. And, you know, it also struggles with the East Coast markets. If I was a kid in Boston, I would not be allowed to stay up to watch that game. And so it's problems like that. It doesn't create loyalty within the brand. It doesn't create loyalty within the teams. And I don't think any kid is loyal to Mike Trout. So if he leaves the Angels, 
he doesn't necessarily have a huge following that's going to follow him to wherever he goes to next. Yeah, so those are a lot of the problems I have with <laughs> Major League Baseball. Any thoughts on any of that, Charlie? Well, the thing with Barstool Sports is we've seen that Barstool Sports has consistently been outperforming ESPN in ratings. And I think it's because of what you said. They have personalities. They're fun yeah. to follow. It's fun to see, you know, some idiots, you know, kick a can or do something on Barstool or, you know, do something funny. Because yeah. ESPN's like, oh, it's Bryce Harper hitting off a tee. And kids are like, I don't care. And, you know, there's some good, funny Fortnite highlight on Barstool or something. But yeah. the main point is that they have personalities and they're fun to watch and fun to listen to. And that's why that Barstool is becoming the new media empire. I mean, even at the Super Bowl, who cares about, you know, the halftime show with Adam Levine and all of that going on? You know, Barstool, the Barstool Nation was his founder, Dave Portnoy, getting arrested at the halftime show. I mean, that's what really captivated that and all the, you know, traction on social media. But getting back to the marketing problem, you know, and another, you know, another stat on here, Chris Paul, you know, statistically with all the ratings and, um, you know, all the mentions on social media is more famous, Chris Sale, Chris Bryant, and Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, Chris Paul is a phenomenal player, a likely Hall of Famer when his career is over. These are one of the best players that we have right now. And so, Nate, why don't we talk about some solutions that Major League Baseball could do? I yeah. think they would highlight, you know, more of the talent issue and maybe they make it more interactive for fans. I mean, Major League Baseball, you see a lot in the Instagram comment sections like, oh, I wish Major League Baseball could reply to me. And they do. But I feel like, you know, there would be some times where they could maybe do a little more. They'll have a fan Q&A with players. Yeah. Or they gear, you know, questions towards a younger audience and they interact more because kids don't care. And we need to change that because they're more, you know, addicted and fascinated with things going on in a computer than real life baseball and a sport that's really curated the history of the United States. Yeah. And really means so much. And we need to revitalize that brand and revitalize those players. And I think it's something that Major League Baseball needs to sit down and think about because as fun, you know, as Bryce Harper's hair is and Manny Machado, you know, tripping first baseman, it's more about talent and more about how we need to market that in an effective way. Yeah. And so Commissioner Manfred, if you are listening, yes, I would be happy to work for you <laughs> in a marketing role. Thank you for asking. But, you know, in all seriousness, though, this is an issue. And yeah. this needs to be changed because NBA is doing a great job of this. Oh, yeah. There are lots of young fans who love the NBA. And I think some of it is a pace of play problem, but the other is no one knows who any of these guys are. And I think a lot of that is due to how big these rosters are. Yeah. You know, and, think, yeah. and the one more point. And the NFL has a giant roster too. Yeah. But they're marketing players well, like Saquon Barkley, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. You ask a kid who Saquon Barkley is, they're like, yeah, running back, you know, Penn State. Giants, but if you ask a guy, you know, the same kid who Jose Barrios is, they don't know. So, yeah, no, that's a big thing as well. And I think we kind of mentioned it on what the NBA is able to do to capture the younger kids and stuff like that. Usually, look at what they do. They have a whole NBA 2K league where teams have their own professional 2K players on the roster that are getting paid upwards of $50,000. To yeah. compete against they have their own teams. draft their own draft That's like, televised it was a big deal and a lot of kids are really into that because a lot of kids play 2k a lot of kids play mlb the show but i don't think mlb has really taken advantage of that 
another thing is, is the MLB needs to embrace meme culture a bit. <laughs> what I mean by that is their social media followings, their players, their own accounts, their team accounts are nowhere near the NBA's. The NBA is by far the most popular league on the social medias. And it's because they have social media managers and both for the NBA account, not necessarily the NBA account themselves, but their team accounts are like roasting other teams, other players, other things on their social media accounts, which if I was a young kid, that entertains me. Like the Pelicans Twitter account the past couple days has been insanely entertaining. Uh, today, they've just been, you know, posting different emojis about related to the trade deadline, when it's going to expire, different things like that. Mm-hmm. That's entertaining. That gets me involved. That gets me into it. And sometimes that can create fandoms to certain teams because, like, wow, this team really entertains me. Uh, the Warriors Twitter account has always been pretty good. It's stuff like that. Like, I follow the Red Sox Twitter account, but it never wows me. It never. If I wasn't a Red Sox fan, I don't think I would follow them based on that. And so I think a lot of the problems with the MLB is they are a little old school. And I know a lot of their old fans like that. But the game itself does not have to change in order to get more people to buy into your game. I think, you know, my cousin Jacob, I think he's still pretty into baseball. He's in sixth grade. He follows it. But I think if I were to ask him, where would he rank baseball over basketball? Basketball would be higher because it's a little more fun. I, I was at a basketball game recently. A huge young crowd who are enjoying themselves the whole time. Even like you see kids that aren't necessarily basketball fans having a good time. I don't think that happens at baseball games because it just, one, the game feels far away at times, depending on where you're sitting. And then there's just little to entertain you in between pitches, in between innings, different things like that, unless you're really buying into the game, which is hard for kids. I would argue that minor league baseball does a way better job of yes. promoting. Yes. And you know why? It's because it's weird. It's yes. weird to have a name, the vibes. It's weird to have a name, <laughs> the trash pandas. It's weird yes. because it's fun and players and fans get to, you know, voice their input on it. And they have these fun promotions. Like I went down to Des Moines, Iowa last summer. And the big thing down in Des Moines is pork. Yeah. Right. So they have all of these questions where they have players and they say, here's a pork question. And then they have a little kid stand on top of the dugout and answer a question in Major League Baseball. That would be frowned upon. Yes. You don't do that. That's not funny. But minor league baseball, that's why, you know, the Rocky Mountain vibes are so successful because people are coming to the games and they're having fun and they don't care about who's at second or who's at third. Because the promotion and the marketing is so well done that people are like, wow, let's go to a Vibes game tonight because this is really fun. And this is somewhere where I can bring little Tommy and he'll have a fun time. You know, with the play areas and the berms that you can sit on and you can run around and even the players are more accessible. So maybe that's something. I I have a little bit of a bias because (laughs) I am an autograph collector and I, you know, I've interacted with hundreds if not thousands of minor and major league baseball players and oftentimes the minor league players are way more accessible and they're a lot nicer and they're more appreciative that you're there and you know even some little kid his day could be made by getting an autograph and that's so easy to do at these minor league games but at the major league games you have 100 people down the row and you're lucky if you even get eye contact so maybe 
you know, I know with the Twins, they have autographed Sundays for kids. That kind of helps with, you know, kids going to games. They're looking forward to that. But I think you need to make more promotions and make more, you know, ideas and fun activities for kids to do because the adults are entertained by the game itself. Yeah. It's the kids you have to market to. Oh, that's 100% it. And I remember I went to a Red Sox game with uh, my dad, my Uncle Dennis, and my two cousins, Meg and Jake. My cousins were not really entertained by the game. So my Uncle Dennis was running to go get snacks very frequently. Um, and then when they were entertained, they accidentally hit a bystander with a beach ball. So in the face. And so stuff like that is, they're just never entertained. But when they came and visited my family out in Victorville, California, I would have birthday parties at the High Desert Mavericks. Uh, they were Rangers, Mariners, and then... Yeah, High A point, affiliate, right? The, yeah. yeah the devil raised and I had so much fun at those games. I threw the first pitch twice at different games for it was for my birthday celebration. At every game you ran the bases like at the end of the game. That for one is going to make you stay for the game. You're going to force your parents to stay the whole time. It was just a lot of fun. They had a grass area where you could sit there the whole game if you wanted. Uh, kids were playing catch. I would my I averaged probably around 4 to 5 foul balls a game. To kids, that is a lot of fun because I would just sit in that grassy area and I'd beg the relief pitchers to throw me the ball after they're done warming up. Uh, we'd run around up there. Uh, I know some kids would just heckle <laughs> the opposing team's uh, bullpen. A lot of that is fun. So, you know, we'd start a hashtag, hashtag bring minor league baseball to major league baseball. You know, I know it's a little harder, but I know I went to a game once and they said the kids can run the bases. You had to pay to run the bases at the end of the game. You had a, It was like $5 for a wristband in order to run the... That's not going to get a kid to stay the whole game. Because the parents like, no, we already paid for the tickets to get this game. We paid for the $10 for the hot dog, the $15 for the drinks, you know, all this and more. And so I think that's where Major League Baseball needs to kind of embrace... You know, it is still kind of under the same umbrella, but they need to embrace what Major League Minor League Baseball does because... If you look at some of the attendance numbers that some minor league baseball teams pull, I remember the first year of the, I think it's El Paso Chihuahuas. Mm -hmm. um, team for the Padres. Yeah, they were outpacing some major league baseball teams with numbers they're having per game. And it's because, one, they're named the Chihuahuas, and of course you want to buy those hats. But then, you know, teams change their names for games, for um, just for one game, different stuff like that, that major league baseball, you know, It'd be fun if the throwback days were a little more fun for Major League Baseball. I think you're right that I think they should embrace their minor league teams at the major league level. Maybe name your major league team the minor league team for a day and have, you know, those different kind of days. I think that could be a lot of fun. I've been to several minor league games and I've never been disappointed, but I've mm. been to a couple major league games where like, uh, maybe that wasn't worth my money because I, I don't feel like I was getting more than the base. Like if the baseball is disappointing in a minor league game, you still had a bunch of other fun things. Like my girlfriend and I went to uh, the, they were still the Sky Sox then, the 4th of July game. I had a ton of fun. We got rained out by the sixth inning. Like it poured and we had to leave that game early. Of course, we were able to go to a different game. Uh, but it was still a lot of fun. They had like this guy dancing with mannequins in between innings. That was entertainment in itself. And if you didn't enjoy baseball, you enjoyed that. 
So. And I'm guessing you probably didn't spend more than $30 on tickets. Oh, no. I think the tickets were both $10 each. Exactly. And I think that's a big problem, too. Because people don't want to shell out $100, you know, $150 for tickets. Yep. Minor League Baseball, you can get a front row box reserve seat for anywhere between $12 to $15. Yep. And it doesn't matter what level you're at. I mean, yeah. Sky Sox were AAA up until this year. Yeah. And that was probably $15 for oh, yeah. a perfect seat. I mean, you could sit right with the scouts and, you know, some of the pitchers charting. But I pulled up some minor league attendance numbers. Okay. The Charlotte Knights, a little bit of background, they're the AAA team for the White Sox. So okay. a lot of good prospects, yeah. you know, coming up. Won the race for most overall fans, 619,639. So a little, I mean, obviously, you know, pair that for adjustment because each professional team plays 81 games at home. Okay. And I would say AAA teams probably are closer to 65 to 70. Okay. So if, you know, add, add that up for adjustment. But yeah, realistically, they could probably outpace the Tampa Rays. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, seriously, though, the Tampa Bay Rays, if anybody listening has ever been to Tropicana Field, there's not... There's not much that's really exciting. It's a poor location. Yep. You're driving up to the stadium and you have to tilt your head because it looks like the stadium is tilted. Yeah. <laughs> it does. I mean, you go in there and you're like, oh my goodness, stadium's tilted. I remember last year they drew about eleven to 12,000 fans a game and they won 90 games. Yeah. 90 games. And no one talks about how they won 90 games. Yeah. And everyone assumes Tampa, oh, probably 70 games, top 10 pick. No, I mean, they won 90 games, which is huge. But they were in a stacked AL East division, so they placed third. But I'm saying if any, in, if they were in any other division, they would be in a wild card or a playoff spot. Yeah. Anyway, but <laughs> minor league baseball is fun. They allow you to change the team names. It's fan input. There's a lot of, you know, dialogue going on. However, there has been one instance that I saw last night where the rebranding has had a negative effect. So the Canapolis Intimidators. Okay. Now, the Canapolis Intimidators, I believe, will have to go to the stats department on that. <laughs> They're a Class A affiliate for the White Sox. Okay. Now, Canapolis, North Carolina, was home to Dale Earnhardt Sr. Hmm. Okay. So Dale Earnhardt Sr., obviously... Um, passed away tragically in a yeah. you know NASCAR incident. I believe it was ten, maybe no, it was probably two thousand early two thousands. I believe okay. um, passed away, and so they named the Canapolis Intimidators after Dale Earnhardt Sr. Hmm. So last night they've been talking about this for weeks. A rebranding, February sixth. Yes, they say we want you to change the name, fan vote. Which is fine, because this is what normally teams do. They have yeah. fan input. You can type in, win a season ticket prize or something. Yeah. And it backfired like I've never seen anything backfire before. You had people tweeting and saying, nope, let's keep the name. Dale Earnhardt meant so much to this town. He still does. And you even had Dale Earnhardt Jr. quoting the tweet and saying, this is such a shame. We should keep this name. My dad would be so disappointed. Wow. And if you're in the front office, you have to think... <laughs> Whoops. What have I done? <laughs> yeah. And apparently they're not faced by it. They tweeted, we have 500 name submissions in the past 24 hours. Keep them coming. If I saw that and Dale Earnhardt Jr., who obviously has a ton of traction, yep. not only in NASCAR, <clears throat> but just in general. Yeah. And you saw that and you were like, you know what? Maybe, maybe we wait. 
Maybe we keep this name. Yeah. Anyway, but Major League Baseball, going back to our marketing issue, they just need to make it fun. And baseball is not fun when you have the same old teams and the same old, you know, scenarios. And, you know, me personally, because I had the opportunity to work for the Twins as an usher last year, there's just a lot of opportunities for growth within Major League Baseball, making it fun because, you know, especially in the sweltering heat, baseball is a traditional sport, but kids and families are going to want to stay inside. They're going to want to do something else that's fun, maybe a little less spendy. They're going to want to, you know, maybe watch something on the TV, you know, hang out inside with the air conditioning. But with this, it's just like, oh, it's baseball. You know, not a lot. Not a lot. That's fun here. Um, Nate, anything else you want to talk about before we go into our divisional preview after our break? Or Yeah, I, I think this is something Major League Baseball can solve. I think every league goes through kind of, a growing pains period where uh, things are going well, attendance numbers are down, viewing numbers are down. So this is not something new, but it does feel like this has been a topic of consideration for about 10 years now. And so the fact that there's so I remember reading an article in Sports Illustrated Kids about how baseball can be more fun for kids. So, you know, and that was probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So there's something that the team needs to work on, obviously, and I think they will eventually fix it but they should look at how the nba and even the WNBA, because the WNBA eventually could be a competitor for their attendance numbers you know they need to give a reason for their fans to sometimes brave the heat in some of these really hot cities uh during the summer like los angeles and different things like that where you know they could go watch the los angeles sparks game in an air-conditioned Staples Center instead. So, and I think that WNBA, their attendance numbers have gone up 30, 40% from last year. Their viewing numbers have gone up 30, 40%. So that's something that the MLB obviously has never thought of as a competitor. But if they're not, I bet a WNBA game, I've not been to one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet you they're more fun for kids than a baseball game. Yeah. As of right now, I would go to a major, minor league baseball game all day, every day. They Absolutely. are so much fun. And they do like different fun things. Like I've been to baseball camps for the Mavericks, which were back home. I've been for the, in Pawtucket, the Red the Sox, Red triple, Sox a, yeah. triple A team. Mm-hmm. I went to like a baseball camp there. There's a lot more options, I think, for minor league baseball to embrace. Major league baseball can do it. I don't know necessarily what's stopping them. Maybe they're like, nah, this is the big leagues. We're professional here. I don't know what a lot of the mindset is. Like, I slept over at the Mavericks once, and I had a pillow fight with minor league baseball players. I don't remember who they were, but they they could have made it, and they hit me with a pillow. So, like, for me, that's cool as a kid. You know, you follow those players. It's something Major League Baseball needs to work on. I feel like Major League Baseball is too much of a traditionalist sport, and minor league baseball was, but it's branched out of that mold. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for rebranding in minor league baseball, and you didn't hear a lot of teams changing their names. Yeah. And now it's become a quintessential part of minor league baseball. You follow a minor league baseball team, oh, maybe I'll get to contribute to changing a name. Yeah. Maybe something like that. You know, with major league baseball, they're just all set in stone. And I understand if you change the names, you'll affect some of the traditionalist older crowd. But to be frank, 
you need to stop worrying about the traditionalist crowd and start marketing to the younger kids because if the younger kids don't care, then you're going to have a stadium of 9,000 people at a Major League Baseball game, even though they might be doing incredible. Yeah. So um, we're going to take a break. We will be right back. Obviously, we've had a lot on this topic, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have more coming out of the break. But after the break, we're going to do a fun little preview that Nate and I have been talked about doing for a while. We've mentioned it. Um, if you want to know what it is, come after the break. This is Runners in Scoring Position on UCCS Radio. Hello, guess who's back? Yep, it's us, Runners in Scoring Position. Hope you enjoyed that song by One Republic. It was a nice, upbeat song. Uh, we're kind of negative <laughs> in our last segment talking about marketing issues within Major League Baseball. And so, you know, it depends how you view uh, season previews, but we're going to go into a little happier side of the show after this, and we're going to have some questions from you, the listeners. We have quite a few this week, which we're pretty excited about. Um, but yeah, if you want to talk about what division we're talking about, we're going to go division by division. We're not going to yes. tackle them all in one show. We're not a one division podcast. <laughs> and so we're going to go division by division. Uh, we're starting with one. And then we're going to go every week. We're going to touch on a different one all the way up until the season starting. So, you know, you could listen to them all now or you division by division if you want. So you can wait until like the day before the season starts, listen to all of them, or you can listen week to week with us. Ideally, we're going to cover all the divisions in Major League Baseball within a month and a half. That'll leave us about two weeks or, you know, a week before spring training uh, ends and opening day starts. I know my twins have opening day March 28th. I don't know how that's going to work because with all the weather out there. But today <laughs> we're going to cover the NL East. So if people need a refresher on who is in the NL East, we have the Atlanta Braves, the New York Mets, the Washington Nationals, and we also have the Philadelphia Phillies along with the Miami Marlins in the NL East. So we're going to talk about the Braves first off. So my prediction, Nate, on okay. the standings, this year, I think it's going to be Braves. Nice. It's going to be Phillies, Nationals, and I think the Mets are going to sneak in there to the fourth spot, and then the Marlins are going to finish last. Okay. However, I wouldn't you know sleep on the Marlins for too long. I think they have a lot of good young prospects, especially with the trade today. You know, with Sixto Sanchez going over and Jorge Alfaro, and uh, I forget the other guy, but. You know, they got a lot of good young prospects. Will Stewart was the third prospect in yeah. that trade, but they do have a lot of good young pieces in place. I think it's just a matter of developing them and getting them up. I know uh, Jorge Guzman's in there, who's a young pitcher. He played with the Jupiter Hammerheads and the Greenboro Grasshoppers last year, Eber Cabrera. So there's a lot of young prospects. And Brian Miller, you know, former Tar Heel second baseman. Um, but there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, improvement with the Mets. And I think it just will take... No, the Marlins, excuse me, and I'll just take some time. But without further ado, let's talk about the Atlanta Braves. Yes. My prediction for record this year, I think they'll go about 94 and 68. Um, you know, they went 90 and 72 last year yeah. with a plus 102 run differential. Some key additions, and Nate and I talked about Josh Donaldson, a one-year, $23 million deal. A lot of Nate, money. how do you think he's <laughs> going to, you know, with a $23 million deal, there's a slim chance he's going to live up to the hype. What do you think happens? Yeah, I think this is a big move. I think the Braves, a lot of people expect them to be a lot better than they had been in the past. Um, but they're kind of a surprise playoff team. They uh, 
were kind of competitive against the Dodgers. Uh, the NL was, a, they were a lot worse than the American League last year. And so I think a lot of what the National League teams are trying to do is just try to give them the same level of American League baseball. American League baseball also improved in a lot of ways uh, in this offseason. But I think Josh Johnson adds a little bit of that American League flair, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, I think he is sometimes overrated, sometimes underrated. He really loves to uh, go across that line a couple times. Um, but I think a young Braves team, a good veteran third baseman in that lineup helps them a lot. And I think he is that key to get them above 90 wins. I think they'll do better than they did last year. And it's probably thanks to him. Uh, Brian McCann is also addition to this team. And I think veteran leadership is really underrated in locker rooms. I think they help a lot. And when you have it, they can make young teams a whole lot better um, if they bring the right kind of veteran leadership. Not all veteran leadership is good because habits are a thing. And if your veteran leader has bad habits, obviously they're going to bring them to that team as well. For sure. I think Nick Markakis, they got a deal with Nick Markakis. I believe it was like a $6 million deal, but it was cheaper okay. than whatever they got him last year. And he yeah. was consistent. Now I'm going to throw out a hot take, Nate, and I want okay. you to let me know what you think of how might be on the fan on like you know mount vesuvius level take <laughs> or are we talking like microwave take okay i think if nick markakis produced two or three more years at his level of production we're looking at a hall of famer hmm. and the reason why i say this <laughs> is because nick markakis i believe you know is one of the best defensive outfielders i've seen in a long time we'll just we'll walk through some of the stats and obviously now, ever since Harold Baines got into the Hall of Fame, everyone is going to be playing the game since, well, if this guy can, if Harold Baines can into the Hall of Fame, then this guy definitely can. You know, Nick Markakis has a little over 2,300 or 2,200 hits. Um, you know, he's been essentially like the Cal Ripken Jr. the past 10 years, been the Iron Man. The least amount of games, you know, the most amount of games he's missed excuse me is 15 or 14 15 or 14 games um three-time gold glover you know was an all-star obviously i don't think that's you know first ball hall of famer but i think veterans committee you know some work players game committee something like that he could definitely get in um nate i don't know what you think about that i don't know if it's a you know charlie's delusional take hour or <laughs> yeah i think it's a hot take but i think Consistency is valued by the Baseball Writers Association. Uh, what you've kind of seen is any player who is pretty consistent in a positive way um, tends to get in eventually. I think that is something that we'll see in the future. Like different solid players will get in there, even if they're not superstars. Yeah, Nick Markakis has been a solid player. He's just a great defensive outfielder. He's been solid offensively for a couple years. Um, but if he does, like, if say this is his last year, then I think that they might be done for. Absolutely. Yep. All right. We're going to talk about the New York Mets now. So some key additions that the Mets made in the offseason is they did not have a quiet offseason. Um, you know, getting a new GM, former agent Brody Van Wagenen. Yep. But they were part of a big trade with the Seattle Mariners, trading Robbie Cano 
and Edwin Diaz for Justin Dunn, Jared Kalinick, Jay Bruce, you know, Anthony Swarzak, some other top prospects. But I don't know how much this is going to help him. Edwin Diaz, I think, arguably one of the top three bullpen, you know, closers and players of our time. Not uh, not of our time. I would say within the past five years, he's really emerged into a superstar. But and then, you know, guys like Juris Familia, who was you know with the Athletics for less than a year and now is back with the Mets. And then you have a veteran presence, Jer- Jed, excuse me, Jed Lowry, and then you know Wilson Ramos, who has obviously been a great catcher and now yeah. is with the Mets. But that doesn't go without losses. Kevin Plowecki, you know, catcher. Bobby Wall, who was an explosive young player. Um, he, you know, signed a new deal, I believe. But the Mets, the interesting thing about the Mets, they got a lot of prospects. And they're really good. Yep. Peter Alonzo. Peter Alonzo is becoming the new top prospect in the Mets organization. For a while, excuse me, it was first baseman Dominic Smith. Now, Dominic Smith was drafted in 2013. He was the first-round pick. Everyone thought, this kid is going to be incredible. However, Dominic Smith has been far from incredible. He has been the type of guy who has stalled in the minor leagues. He hasn't gotten anywhere. And really, he hasn't been able to produce at the level he he wants to produce and where the Mets want him to produce. So I feel like that's an issue that the Mets will have to address after this year. He was a September call-up, I believe, a year or two ago, and he just didn't live up to the standards. There was nothing really incredible about him. Peter Alonso, though, is becoming a consistent star. He was someone who people were surprised that he didn't get a September call-up. However, strategy on the Mets' part, because if Peter Alonso did not get called up, then they would save a year on arbitration issues and contractually he wouldn't be, you know, first year player. Yeah. So um, talking about that. And then you want to talk about the other team here, the Washington nationals who have made some big moves, including a young lefty from the great state of Arizona. Yeah. So Washington nationals, uh, 2018 finished 82 in 80 missed the playoffs. Um, and might lose Bryce Harper, but we really don't know at this point. Uh, so some key additions for them are first baseman slash outfielder Matt Adams. He resigned with the team this offseason. A right-hand pitcher, Kyle Barclow. I'm terrible with names. Barclow. Uh, Barclow. Kyle, I'm sorry if you're listening, but, sorry, you know, Kyle. I'm just terrible with names, uh, especially international names. A left-hand pitcher, Patrick Corbin. A second baseman, Ryan Dozer. 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 <laughs> uh, Ryan Pitcher, Tanner Rainey. Uh, Ryan Pitcher, Trevor Rosenthal. Right hand pitcher, Anibal Sanchez. And catcher, Kurt Suzuki. Um, and some key losses for the team. Right hand pitcher, Kelvin Herrera. Second baseman, Daniel Murphy. Right hand pitcher, Tanner Rosark. And right in the middle of both lists is still Bryce Harper. Uh, he's the biggest question mark for that team. I don't. I, I think as a management perspective, team perspective, they've kind of already counted him off the team. Uh, they they think they're good, better without him, and they are planning for the post price Bryce Harper era. So if he does come back, I don't know if that will be a positive for the team because they might have already moved on. Uh, their MVPs from 2018: Max Scherzer, of course, one of the best pitchers in the league. Anthony Rendon, 
and Juan Soto. They're still around. The front office has patched several holes in free agency after being burned by a thin pitching staff. Although Washington would need to blow past the luxury tax threshold, um, Bryce Harper's return cannot be ruled out entirely. And Victor Robles does at age 22 quietly after quietly dominating late September. So It'll be interesting to see what Robles does. That was a, my bad on the <laughs> editing there. But Robles and Juan Soto really are one of the best young outfielders, you know, in Major League Baseball. You know, if not Major League Baseball, probably in the National League. But imagine if Harper, you know, came back on a on a smaller deal, which I know he won't do, and it was Robles, Harper, and Juan Soto as an outfield. That would be a dream outfield. I yeah. mean, that would win perennial gold gloves. The amount of chemistry oh, yeah. they would have and the amount of ground they would cover yeah. would be unlike any other outfielding outfield trio in Major League Baseball. Yeah. I mean, maybe besides the Red Sox, who have probably one of the better outfield trios right now with Ben Attendee, Betts, and J.D. Martinez. I can't name another one, you know, besides the Nationals with Harper. I would say if I had to rate my percent chance of Harper coming back, probably less than 10. Okay. Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. One of the two bold predictions I've made. (laughs) I'm going to include my analysis of the Phillies with Bryce Harper because that's where I think Harper's going to go. Nice. Some of the additions that the Phillies have made, Andrew McCutcheon, who now will be able to grow a beard because last year playing with the Yankees, he could not grow his beard or have any facial hair because that's a Yankees policy. Yep. Uh, Gene Segura, shortstop, but some key losses too. They lost J.P. Crawford to the Mariners. They lost Wilson Ramos. Justin Bohr, who no pun intended, was kind of a bore last year because (laughs) he didn't hit very well while he was with the Phillies, came from the Marlins. He was a 30 30 home run, 80 80 RBI type of guy. And fun fact, he doesn't wear any batting gloves. How about that? Very nice. So I feel like the Phillies miss an opportunity out here unless they have offered a contract to Harper because they have so much money, but they just won't spend it. Yeah. Nate, does that sound like a team you know? <laughs> okay. Twins. Anyway. Uh, uh, the Phillies just have so much room to work with. Gabe Kapler is an effective manager because, you know, we have seen the the, uh, the Phillies. They had a great stretch there for a while. And a lot of, you know, teams were able, and a lot of times they were able to produce. But then at the end, they just tanked. And if they, if the Philly's farm system is able to evaluate their talent and effectively utilize the talent, then this will be a division-winning team for years to come. And I wouldn't be surprised if they would make it back to the World Series like they did in 2009 nice. because they have the pieces and they have the talent to do so. Yeah, And we see a lot of these teams like the Dodgers, and that's the only team I can name right now. <laughs> but they're getting older. Yeah. Clayton Kershaw is getting older. I mean, oh, yeah. of course you have Walker Buehler, who is going to be a number one ace here. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised with halfway through the season, if not next year. But you have a lot of these young guys, but you don't, you know, these old guys, you know, aren't Benjamin Button. They're not getting yeah. young really fast. I don't know if I completely botched that reference, but <laughs> um, so we'll see. At NL East, you know, will be an interesting division for next year. Um, Nate, anything else you want to add before we head to break? 
Um, yeah, we should look for Tim Tebow to oh, make Tim his Tebow. NLE's yes. uh, debut okay. sometimes. Because I, I'm a huge Tim Tebow fan. I do own a Tim Tebow Mets t-shirt. Classic. <laughs> um, that I get made fun of every time I wear it. But I would love to be able to pull that out and it actually be relevant MLB baseball player. I, I believe in the dude. There's a lot of people like, nah, he should just give up on his dreams. I like that kind of attitude. Just keep working he hard until your dreams come true. And he's not horrible. He's not, he's not horrible. horrible. He's not great. But he's he could be horrible. like, if the Mets bomb again, throw him in there. Sell tickets, sell jerseys. Yep. That, that's the mindset there. He's not horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That great. Uh, okay. Yeah, great assess- assessment of all the teams heading into the season. Um, if you could choose one of these teams to make it to the World Series, regardless of them actually making the playoffs, which team do you think has the best chance of winning the World Series? Okay, question. Are we including the current... Are we having the current rosters as of now? So that does not include a potential Bryce Harper to Phillies move. Are we just evaluating the rosters as they are now? Evaluating the rosters as they are. Okay. Now. I would take the nationals because okay. I feel like that outfield will not be messed with. Yeah. Soto, Robles. Um, and then you have Patrick Corbin, you have Max Scherzer. So you have a lot of depth for pitching. It's just a matter of how they'll effectively win games. Anthony Rendon is not to be messed with either. You know, he's yeah. getting a little older as a shortstop, but he's still effective. And then Trevor Rosenthal, who's been an effective closer for the Cardinals. And then you have some young prospects too. I think that's a team, you know, if they turn it around ahead in the right direction, could be an NLS or, you know, a uh, World Series team. Yeah. Hey, what do you think about that? Um, I think I would probably put my money on... The Phillies, I liked a lot of their additions. Even without Bryce Harper, if they add Bryce Harper, I think it's, you know, if we're just looking at these teams making the World Series, it's obviously the Phillies. Uh, But I think they added a lot of great veteran uh, players to their staff. Um, They did lose a couple people, but I I think eventually, I think they're a strong team, and I think they're one of those teams that could grind it out throughout the season. Um, Some teams... You know, if look at the Braves, if they lose Josh Donaldson throughout the season, I think that's a big blow to them. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the Phillies have a little more depth when it comes to losing a player. Yeah. And we did not forget about the Braves, folks. If people are thinking, why didn't they choose the Braves? We were going with the sleeper teams. <laughs> yes. we're, we're kind of a sleeper <laughs> podcast. So we're going to take a break. I think we're going to answer some questions. Yeah. And then Question time. if we have time, we might do... A first-time sports crossover and maybe address some of the NBA trade news. Yeah. Maybe we'll see a certain player get traded here, including one guy who I was pretty happy he got traded. New opportunities. If you want to find out who that is, stick around after the break. This is Runners in Scoring Position. That was Love on the Weekend by John Mayer. And it's Love on a Thursday here at Runners in Scoring Position. I am Nate. With me, as always, is Charlie. He's still singing to some John Mayer right now. Uh, but we have questions from you, mm-hmm. uh, the listeners, the viewers, mostly listeners, because you can't see us. But um, our first question, um, we're actually going to jump a little out of order. So I posted this on my personal Instagram, at Speedy McNate, um, and asked... Shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug here. Um, and I asked people to type in a question if they had one for our baseball podcast. I'll do the same thing for the two-minute drill tomorrow. Um, but this question is from Jose Bueno. 
Uh, we ran cross country together, and he did cross country in order to get in shape for baseball season. Uh, he went to college, played baseball there. Now he's a baseball coach at Oak Hills High School in Oak Hills, California. Uh, so here's the question is, how do you feel about the Red Sox closer situation? Who will close for them in 2019? That is a really big question. Um, I've kind of flip-flopped on this. He's a Dodger fan, and I was kind of hoping new Dodger Joe Kelly would actually close for the Red Sox this season. Uh, he has the velocity and I think the confidence to close baseball games. I don't know if I want Craig Krim Kimbrell back. That's a big question. I don't know if the Red Sox want Craig Kimbrell back. I think Craig would like to be on the Red Sox again. Um, I actually have no idea who will close if they don't get back Craig Kimbrell. I think if they could get Craig at a discount price, he'll be the closer for the Red Sox. I think the most likely answer here is that Craig will be the closer for the Red Sox in the 2019 season. I he'll don't... have to take a pay cut, though. Yeah, he'll have to take a big pay cut, and it'll be a one-year deal. He's not going to get four... I think at one point he's asking for seven years. He's not going to get any of that from the Red Sox. Uh, the Twins did offer him uh, reportedly, but we'll see what ends up happening yeah. with that. It could be Nathan Evaldi. I highly doubt it. They paid him a lot of money. He he would be great in a closing situation, um, but I think they might pull someone up in order to close. I think it might be something they just try out in spring training. Uh, they let everyone in their bullpen kind of get a shot at closing, and kind of see where it lands. I don't know if the Red Sox have a permanent plan for who will close for them. And they could also pick someone up as we go along if in spring training and in those exhibition games. Like, oh, we don't have anyone good enough to close. Let's go get someone. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? I think I think it'll be Kimbrell. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, it'll be a pay cut. <clears throat> but I feel like if none of their options, I would not move Ivaldi to the pen. That doesn't make any sense to me. We yeah. saw how well he did as a starter, and you just don't want to take that mojo away from him. Yeah. I think if anything, they might maybe is Brian Johnson still in the bullpen? Maybe they'll use a Brian yeah. Johnson lefty. Okay. Maybe they'll pull someone from AAA. They got a lot of pitching prospects in AAA. Yeah. Or maybe they'll just kind of do it by committee. You know, maybe they'll just figure it out. They'll experiment a little bit. Maybe they'll use some of the relievers because you yeah. know, obviously Joe Kelly is, you know, psycho Joe Kelly, excuse yeah. me, is now at the Dodgers. But, you know, I feel like Cora, obviously the genius that he is, they'll just evaluate it by committee and they'll figure it out from there. They'll yeah. go from there. 100%. Uh, Nate, why don't you do question number two? All right, question number two. Um, This is from Jacob Walsh. Jake is my cousin out in Massachusetts. Uh, I think he's a Red Sox fan. I think he kind of wavers. Um, But who is going to be... The biggest threat that is coming into the league. So I, I think he's asking, is it prospects? Is it guys we've never really heard of? Is it Tim Tebow? It's probably Tim Tebow. Um, of course. We'll see. But Tebow. who do you think? You're a little more in tune to the, the minor league guys, tracking them as they come up. Who do you think is the biggest threat that is coming into the league this season? I think for most analysts and most um, baseball fans, I think it's Vlad Guerrero Jr., coming up and yeah. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has probably one of the best power hitting, you know, swings and best power hitting ability that I have ever seen out of a minor league player in years by far. I mean, I remember major league baseball was doing a segment on him when he was with the New Hampshire Fisher cats, which is the double <laughs> a team for the blue Jays. Yeah. And he hit probably a 450 foot home run off a tee. Yeah. Oppo. Which just goes to show how powerful he is. 
However, along with power, you know, comes great responsibility. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah. not. No, it's strikeouts. Yeah. And so um, he does whiff a lot. And that's what we saw with Adam Dunn. You know, when Adam Dunn connected, watch out. That ball is going to the next town over, yeah. even the next state. But I feel like with, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and even Bo Bichette, Bo Bichette is the, you know, the son of Dante Bichette who played for the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. Um, but I feel like Bo Bichette is just, you know, so good. And then they have Nate Pearson, who is a pitcher flamethrower. He was known for throwing 104, I think, of the Arizona Fall League. But to answer the question that Jacob sent, Jake, sorry for going on a long-winded answer, but <laughs> I believe it's Vlad Guerrero Jr. And yes, his dad was Vlad Guerrero, the newly minted Hall of Famer. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. is someone I would watch out for coming in 2019. Yeah. Great question, Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. If, do you want to ask your question? Sure. All right. So a friend of mine, Anna, she asked this question. What are some of the most controversial baseball calls in history? I have two, and then Nate will get your opinion on these. Yeah. Uh, I remember in the 1987 World Series with Kent Herbeck and Ron Gant. So it was the Twins and Braves at the time in the World Series. Yeah. Kent Herbeck lifted the leg of Ron Gant. So essentially, I'm going to act this out. This is great, great radio. radio. <laughs> so Ron Gant is running. I think it, he got tagged up. So they caught it, and he was trying to tag up. And so he was running from second back to first. Okay. And he was running, 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 and he tried to stop. And I think his momentum was, like, on the bag, and he wanted to stop. But Herbeck had the ball and lifted his leg and tagged him. Thus made it, you know, an out, and that's okay. been a call that's been disputed a lot. Like, he, he should have been safe because oh, wow. his momentum carried him and his leg got yeah. lifted. I believe in 2011-2012, my second and final controversial call, Joe Nathan played for the Twins, the Rangers, the Cubs, the Giants for a while, so he had quite the illustrious career. But yeah. he was closing for the Rangers, and Tampa Bay Rays believe let's call him a utility infielder ben zobrist yeah and ben zobrist was up to bat and i believe it was a three two count and nathan just throws it right into the dirt it was a slider and it came up well but it just dove right into the ground and so zobrist is taking his shin guard off he's ready to Uh go and that home plate um calls him out strike three and i remember that call and you know how there's calls sometimes nate when you're watching a game and you're looking at it and you're like oh this is right on the border yeah kind of a borderline (laughs) call you know okay it could have gone either way this was clearly a ball there's no question about it that was in the dirt a ball so that's my one of my two controversial calls obviously there's more important controversial calls but those are just the ones i my memory nate what are your thoughts and what are some of your controversial calls? Yeah, I think both are extremely controversial. We see some with baseball and even with replay, we've gotten some. And one that's come to mind is pretty recently in game four of the ALCS with Jose Altuve and Mookie Betts. Uh, Jose yes. Altuve hits a home run and it ended up being called fan oh, interference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people were upset by that call. Um, a lot of people said it favored the Red Sox a little too much there. Um, yeah, that's a call, like, even, you know, the calls you mentioned, uh, replay wasn't a huge part of the game, even in 2011, 2012, and it really wasn't a part of the game in the 80s. Those calls might have been reversed, but even after looking at the Mookie Betts call, 
Trump still believed it was fan interference. Um, and, you know, it did help the Red Sox, who I was rooting for. I don't think it was fan interference. A lot of people said no matter what, Mookie would have caught that ball. Mookie's a great right fielder, don't get me wrong, one of the best. I don't know if he still catches that. And I think once it kind of passes that line, you kind of have to... I think most of the fans tried to pull back their arms. But, you know, they're not baseball players. They don't have that reaction time like baseball players do. And so I think that's part of the controversy um, controversy with this play. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely an interesting one. And it was one of the ones that, like, everyone's like, okay, replay will fix it. And it did it. So we'll see. Um, replay is flawed, though. Yeah. And especially, I think it's kind of across all sports. There's been some <laughs> flaws in replay. Yes. But not to interrupt, but keep going. Yeah, no. And then the other one I can think of, and I don't know the specifics of this one, um, but it was, again, with the Red Sox, it was a World Series game. Uh, there was a play at the very end, and I, I can't remember the specifics of it, but I remember being upset by it uh, because I was a Red Sox fan. It involved uh, recently retired Jared Saltamakia um, and some Cardinals. I am not 100% sure the specifics of this play, but there was interference with the run and... I don't know, maybe you remember this play a little more, but I, I don't 100% remember. But I remember it was like, it took like 20 minutes for them to figure it out. It went in the Cardinals' favor, and they won that game because of that. I don't know if you remember. I don't recall that. Yeah. I do recall this is completely different from what you're saying. Okay. A giant brawl with the Reds and Cardinals at uh, St. Louis's field. Of course, I'm blanking the name. Yeah. Bush Stadium. Yep. 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 Okay, yeah. But there was a giant brawl, and I think one guy effectively had to end his career right there because he got kicked in the head with a metal cleat, and he could never recover. But wow. that's beside the point of what you were saying, not even close to what you were saying. <laughs> but those are some of the controversial calls <laughs> Major League Baseball that we can remember. Our dedicated fan base will probably chime in afterwards and say, Charlie, Nate, you were so wrong on that. Here's yeah. why, which we're welcoming. So, <laughs> yeah. Nate, next question. All right, next one is uh, my one of my best friends back home, uh, Justin Morin. I asked for a Padre shout-out. Uh, he's living in San Diego right now, uh, a casual sports fan, I would call him. Uh, yeah, so here's the Padres shout-out. They probably will be, Padres. Uh, they won't be better than they were last year, and they won't be worse. I, You know <laughs> what? I think they'll be a little better. I think they'll call okay. up Fernando Tatis Jr. and Luis Urias and... Mackenzie Gore is a solid lefty. I think he'll give him a couple years, but I think they have a lot of good pieces in place. They have Chris Paddock, who was in AAA last year, is a young Manny Margot. Um, a lot of these pieces are collateral from <clears throat> the Craig Kimbrell trade, Yeah, actually. But I think Padres will see maybe a few win improvement. I believe they have Chad Green still as their manager, or Andy Green, excuse me, might need to check the stats department on that, but <laughs> definitely I think the Braves are going to be, not the Braves, the Padres. Padres are going to be in better shape than they were last year. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have another question. Uh, this is from J another Jacob. Um, and I don't have his last name here in front of me, uh, but his Instagram username is J underscore God. How do you get better at strike? How do you get better at not striking out? I, I think a lot of it is just watching tape and as cliche, cliche as that sounds 
You just have to do it because there could be some tendencies that players have and pitchers have. Um, me as a former you know player and still follow it and love the game, a lot of times pitchers, because I, I pitched for a while, a lot of tendencies are, you know, on an 0-2 pitch or a 1-2 pitch, you want to throw an off-speed pitch. Okay. Um, you know, even like 2-2 you can throw off-speed, but when you get to 3-2, then you're going to want a good fastball to locate, make sure it hits the strike zone. Yeah. 3-0 pitch, you're just waiting on that because that ball could be anywhere. If that ball is four feet in the air and you swing, it's a 3-1 count, and that could have been a walk. So it's all about just being smart with your play and smart with how you strategize and making sure that you understand what's happening and making sure that you understand that, you know, you might not get a fastball right away. You might get off speed. So always just being on your toes for anything. And I think a lot of it is just practice, you know, practicing, not just throwing fastballs in the cage, but having someone throw you off speed and mixing it up with breaking pitches and, you know, just kind of changing it up a little bit. So that's the best way I feel like not to strike out and don't swing at bad pitches. Unless, you know, you're at a 2-2 or a 3-2 and you need to protect yourself, then swing at something a little more controversial. But if you're, you know, if you're set up nicely, don't swing at anything above your head or at your feet or inside or outside because those will be balls unless something happens. Yeah. Yep. And my advice is just don't do it. All right. Um, (laughs) This last question is from a family friend, uh, my friend Andy's mom, uh, Janice Smolinski. Um, asks, when will the Angels ever have a winning team? And I think this is a pretty... It's a fair question. It's a fair question, you know. Best player in the league, and they haven't had a winning season in a very long time. And it's not looking hopeful that Trout will come back. No. Um, To answer your question, what was her name? Uh, Jana. Jana. We need to sit down and talk about this. (laughs) I I don't know if this is going to happen for a while. Yeah. Nate... I don't, I don't know. I, the AL West is so competitive now yep. with the athletics suddenly being good. I mean, Rangers aren't bad either. Astro, Astros. Yeah, it's not a fun time. It's almost like you're the Rays. Like the Rays and the AL East are a good baseball team. But for the next couple and years. And the Angels don't even shot. have that strong of a prospect system. No. I mean, they have a couple outfielders, Joe Adele and Jemai Jones. I don't know. I just. Yeah. I mean, Shohei Otani, that's exciting. But Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and old Albert Pujols aren't going to lead a team Uh, from mediocrity to, you know, fantastic results. Yeah. I do like uh, their new manager. Brad Osmus. Brad Brad Osmus. Yes. I like him a lot. And I think, for me, Mike Sosha was part of the problem. He's never going to be part of the solution in my mind. I think he's a solid manager. He's done a lot of great things for the city of Anaheim. But I think as we look towards the future, futures in Brad's hands, and I think this year is going to be a better year than the last couple of years. I don't think they make the playoffs. I don't no. think they go far if somehow they do make the playoffs. But I think this is a year where they start to put people on notice. You saw this with the Astros in their first couple of years before their success. is like, hey, we're not bad anymore. We're not the joke of Major League Baseball. I think the Angels will start to have a couple of games where you're like, oh, and they had a strong start of the season last year. I think we see another strong start. A little more attention. A little more attention. And maybe some lineup changes. Maybe some people are being pulled from the minors at different points. I think Brad is going to bring a shakeup to the Angels and going to help them find their identity. Maybe find their identity without Mike Trout because he's not guaranteed. 
But if they want to keep Mike Trout, this is a big year to keep Mike Trout. You need to make moves. You need to make moves. And you need to at least be in playoff contention come August. If you're not in playoff contention come August, he's already talking to other teams. Mike Trout is like teaching a little kid how to eat veggies. It's basically, (laughs) I'm just going to explain this. Like you want to make the veggies fun for the kid to eat. And you want to make, you know, all the boring food fun. If you don't make that fun, then they're not going to eat it. Not going to want to come back to eat it. Same with Mike Trout. You need to make the roster fun and enjoyable or else he's not going to want to come back. And I feel like they have prospects. They have some prospects, 15th ranked overall, Joe Adele, as I mentioned earlier. They have guys, but they're not ready yet. And my fear is that these Angels prospects are going to come up, but Trout's going to leave because Trout's contract expires in 2020. And all these prospects are going to be ready around 2020. And as we saw with the Twins, you do not want to rush your prospects because it does not turn out well, and it really stunts their career development. Yeah. So Janice, I guess, you know, it, it might look a little better. It might look a little better yeah. than what we were thinking. So yeah. if I had to guess a prediction, say 500, maybe a little bit above. Hey, I think that's a pretty solid yeah. prediction. And Angel fans liked it as well. As well, shout out to Griffin. He's also an Angels fan, a struggling one in that as well. Um, I think that kind of wraps up the show for today. Show today. Yeah. We'll talk about the NL West next week. And then NL Central, before you know it, will be in the Big Apple, New yeah. York City. Um, you know, maybe a little coaxing. Maybe we'll have a little periscope with one of our guests that we had featured. I'm not yeah. going to say who that would spoil <laughs> it, but he has reached out to me and said he would be in the area and he'd be willing to chat with us. Um, yeah. I'll give you a hint. He has played baseball before, so that narrows it down for all you detectives yeah. out there. But, you know, we have a great couple of weeks going um, maybe we'll do like a, you know, we talked about live stream from New York. Um, uh, we'll do a lot of interactive baseball stuff, but I would just stick around. You know, there's a lot of, you know, baseball news. And of course, follow our Twitter account at R-I-S-P-U-C-C-S at R-I-S-P-U-C-C-S. If you've any burning questions, as I've mentioned, no matter what time it is, we will always be able to answer your questions at 719-428-6191. 91 feel free to text or if you're feeling good you could leave a voicemail and we will talk about your call on air and as always if you have any questions you can always send us an email at rispuccs at gmail.com and another thing if you know your friend or your brother or your neighbor has a new business and they need some help advertising it we would be happy to help advertise your business nate and i don't care if it's a sock company a candy store, or you're making your own boots. We don't care. We would love to, you know, advertise for your business. So feel free to send us a message on our Twitter account. Nate, anything else you want to add? No. Okay. Yeah. And of course, if Harper and Machado sign between now and next Thursday, that will be on the Twitter account. We'll have some interaction. Uh, our poll went well, and officially, I think the results from our poll on who had the better team. I think it was. Split I think it 50/50. was uh, split fifty-fifty, or I think Mr. Nate had the winner there. But let's just double check stats department. It was fifty-fifty split. But uh, yeah. yeah, you know, if you'd like to see that again, give us a shout. Maybe we'll do another redraft. Maybe we'll limit it like present day. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much for listening, Nate, and I really appreciate all of your. Uh, 
support, especially going to New York. And we'll see you guys next week.